you got your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. How you doing tonight? First week of school, how's that? It's all right? It'll work, right? Hey, a couple things before we dig into Genesis here. Um, we really need people uh, to be helping us out with some things. Um, I don't know if you know this, you probably do, but we come in here every week and set this room up pretty quickly, and, um, and so we need help with that. And so uh, we also need help with people contacting people that come here to visit. We want them to feel welcome beyond just coming in here, uh, but calling them. And so we've got some different teams. We need people to help set up things, creativity. We need all of, we need you, okay? And so there's a table back here with a bunch of stuff on it to sign up for. Among those things is to sign up to be a part of our creative team, our, ser- our different um, our different serve teams, our creative team, our connect team, or our prayer team. We're about to launch um, a prayer kind of ministry out of refuge where basically each week we're going to have a prayer room here that you guys can go at any point during the time of worship and just be prayed over or pray for someone. So we need people to help those ministries happen. They don't happen by themselves. And so if God has given you a passion for something, one of those things, or maybe something I didn't even talk about. Um, sign up back there or come let me know. Second thing, and then we'll dig, dig into the text tonight, is uh, if you're going to Passion, uh, first of all, if you're not going to Passion, but you want to go to Passion, I would recommend that you sign up quickly because it's about to jump 20 bucks. It's going to go up to $360. And uh, I don't have that much money, neither do you. So you may want to save that money. But if you have not paid your $50 last week, Rachel Olson is going to be sitting at the greet table. Um, what kind of has been happening, I'll just kind of say this. I'm going to be pastoral here for a second. What's kind of been happening is Aaron Shaw has been chasing you down and asking you for your money for different things. And that those days are over, okay? Uh, we shouldn't have to chase you down and ask you for your money. So um, each week, especially the weeks you have a payment due, there's going to be someone sitting there taking your payment, and it's your job to go find them and pay your money, okay? So um, I don't want... Aaron to be running around here chasing people down, begging them for money. So that's not in her job requirement. So cool? Cool? Okay, good. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. And um, Father, we just thank you that you've made us in your image. And God, I pray that tonight you would encourage us, challenge us, convict us about what that means. We pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. Okay, we started last week talking about this thing called origins, and um, we basically found out that in the beginning, God created. So this is God's story. It's not our story. The Bible is not primarily about us. The Bible is primarily about God, and the Bible is about showing us how we fit into the story of God. So last week, we found out that God created, and when you have any kind of big epic story, what you usually have is you have a setting— You have a primary character, and you have supporting characters. You know, they give out awards every year for the best actor and the best supporting actor. In the story of God, God is primary, and we are supporting him. The creation of man, what we're about to see, is supporting actor role in the story of God. Because our creation was to, from the beginning, point to the goodness and the greatness of God, right? So we found out last week a couple things. If you weren't here, I'll kind of catch you up. That in the beginning, God created. And the word for create, there's two words, bat-ra, is to make out of nothing. Like I say, I want a sandwich, and it appears out of nowhere. Or there's another word called asa, which is basically this, to take what is already there and form it. So there's two different words for create. So in the beginning, God bat-ra's the heavens and the earth. He creates out of nothing, right? He creates out of nothing. Then 
He takes this creation and he asas it. He begins to form it and shape it. And the first five days, here's what we see God doing. We see him separating the waters. We see him gathering the land. We see him filling the land. What's he filling the land with? He's filling the land with cattle. He's filling the land with trees that produce fruit. Why is he doing all this? Well, we're about to see why he's doing all this. Because he's about to make his, his pinnacle of creation. Okay, He's about to make us. And, and as you journey through this, it's amazing. I, I just get excited reading it. Join me in, in Genesis chapter 1, and we'll see this. Look at um, Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to look at the fifth day and the sixth day a little bit. And we'll start in verse 24. Here's what it says. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts on the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So God creates, he creates these animals. He fills the land with these animals, and he saw that it was good. But he's going to create something that's different than the animals. And look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let, us have, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So notice he just said, I'm going to fill the land with livestock and things that creep on the earth and all these animals. And then he says, I'm going to make something that's going to have dominion over them. But in the middle of this process, in the middle of the sixth day, God is having creation. He is assigning his creation. He's taking it and he's making it and forming it into what he wants it to be. And he fills the land with these animals that's good for man. But then he stops. And I love this. He starts to have a conversation. Notice what it says here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, he's been saying a lot up to this point. But now he's having a conversation. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So how do you know he's having a conversation? Because he's plural. Let us, plural, make man in our plural image and after our plural likeness. So what's happening here? God stops because he's been creating and he's on a roll, right? God said, and there was light. God said, and he gathered the waters. God said, he filled the earth. God said, and it happens. And then on this middle of the sixth day, God stops and he has a conversation. But who's he having a conversation with? Well, some people would say that he's having a conversation with with the heavenly court, with what would be known as the highest of angels, the seraphim that you see in Isaiah 6 around the throne of God. That's what some people would say, that he's actually having a conversation with the seraphim. And he he turns to them from his throne and says, let's make man in our image. Here's the problem with that. You and I are not made in the image of God and angels. Like someday you're not going to die and have wings, right? I know that's popular thinking. You and I are made in the image of God, period. So what's happening here? Here's what I think is happening here. And there's years of theology and history that would support what I think is this, that God is is having a conversation with himself. Like what? God is not schizophrenic. I promise you that. God is having a conversation. Can you hear me? Because this is mind-blowing to me. With the Father and the Son, pre-incarnate, and the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They stop to have a conference because they're about to create the pinnacle of creation. And they say, what should we do? Let's make man in our image. We've made all this stuff. We've made trees and we've made these animals. We've made these cattle. We don't like them. They're not going to have our image, right? Let's make something else that is in our image. Let's make 
man, Adamo. It's actually the word that Adam comes from. Let's make something that portrays us, that resembles us, that reflects us, that represents us. Let's make man in our image. And so God pauses in the middle of the sixth day and he says, I'm going to make something that is supposed to glorify me with everything that it is. You know what that is? You. People ask me all the time, I don't know what my purpose is in life. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what the will of God is for my life. You ever thought that before? Heard someone ask you that? What is the will of God for my life? You take it back to Genesis 1. The will of God for your life is that you would reflect God in his glory. You say, well, I, well, I get that, but the will of, what's the will of, the will of God for your life is that you would be an image bearer that reflects God to everybody around you. So he creates man in his image. But what does that mean? We're going to kind of dig into that a little bit tonight. Here's, here's what, um, here's what it doesn't mean. Here's what it doesn't mean. Okay. I want to show you something. If you go to the next slide, um, that would be awesome. There we go. Next slide. That was a minute ago. There you go. <laughs> How is man set apart from from the other creation? Here's what we're going to see. I want you to look at this text here, and we're going to see how man is set apart from the other creation. The first part is that all of creation is leading up to the man. The first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the first part of the sixth day. He's preparing, as we've said, the creation for the man. He began in the beginning, Ra. Now he is a song, and he's putting it together, but he's putting it together for a purpose. My good friend who is a carpenter, I can't tell the story because I've never built a thing in my life. Um, but my good friend who's a youth pastor in Atlanta, he's a, he he's can build things out of nothing with wood. That always blows my mind. Like the fact that people can build houses, I'm like, that's an awesome thing. I wish I could do that. He was about to have a little baby boy. And he when he found out that he was going to have a little baby boy, he went home and gathered wood that he had in his house that he had bought for this reason. And he began to put together a place where his little baby boy would spend his night sleeping. And he did it with great care, and he did it with great attention, and he did it with great detail, because that was going to be where he would one day place his child when he was born. So God is doing that with creation. He's taking great care and great detail, and on the sixth day, he is going to make man in his image. So why is man different from all other creation? Because creation was not prepared for the livestock, and creation was not prepared for the fruit trees. They are part of creation that was prepared for us. Secondly, here's how we're different from the rest of creation. It says this. Check it out. It says we're going to make man in our image. And look at what God says here in the middle of this conversation. He says this. And let them have dominion or rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, let me just say this. PETA does not like this verse. Yeah, right? Peter does not like this verse. Because we have dominion over the fish and the animals and the livestock. If any, Does anybody in here hunt? Anybody a hunter like to hunt? Anybody like to eat beef, right? Okay. I'm glad that this verse is here because I have dominion over the animals, right? We have, we have dominion and rule over the animals. So this is one reason why we are not like them. Some people would say, that all we are is like is animals, and we can't control our emotions, we can't control our feelings, and so we just have these animalistic desires, and we just got to meet our desires like a bunch of animals. The problem is, we are not animals. There's a guy named Peter Singer. He's an ethics professor at Princeton University. He wrote a book about this, and basically his theory is that man 
is really no different than an animal. And in his book, he basically says that bestiality is okay. Right? Weird. Here's the deal. A guy at Princeton University who is the chair of ethics at the highest university in our country is saying that man is equal to animals. I'm wondering how he got his job, right? Here's the reality. Man is not equal with the animals. Man is above the animals, and God's given us dominion over them. But, but here's the third thing that we know that separates us from creation is this. is what we've said all along, that God has been made in Mago Dei, in the image of God. That's a Latin term, Imago Dei, in the image of God. So what does it mean for us to be made in the image of God? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean for us to be made in the image of God. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we are an exact duplication of God. Some people would say that for us to be made in the image of God means that basically God made us and he set us up to rule. And so they see that verse and they go, oh, we're kind of supposed to be like these. We're kind of like many gods. We're exact representations of him. And so he's basically made us a god. That is not what the word image means. Let me let me read something to you. This will blow your mind. Creflo Dollar, you may know him, maybe not. Here's what he said, and I ain't capping anybody, okay? I'm just telling you what he said. When God made Adam, all he did was make an exact imprint of himself. He duplicated himself. He was the image from his image, and he came from himself. You are an exact duplication of the image of God, and God is speaking spirit. Sounds pretty good so far. God took a reflection of himself and put it in a physical body formed out of the dust and gave him authority over all physical things on the planet. I'm tracking. So that like he was God in heaven, now he's made Adam God of earth problem. God wanted a God on the earth like he was God in heaven. And God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to reproduce myself like I'm God up here in heaven. I'm going to make me a God and put myself in the physical body so that he can guard the earth and keep all intruders from the earth. Speaking of Adam. Adam was all God. He was just like God. You might see a problem with that. <laughs> Some people would say that to be made in the image of God is that we are many gods. But here's what that sounds a lot like. Mormon theology. And I ain't capping the Mormons either, right? I'm just telling you what they believe. They believe that if you are a man, you can someday achieve godhood. And they actually have a phrase that goes something like this. As man is, God once was. As God is, man can be. So, here's the problem with this, is that it is not what the word means. If you go to the next slide, you'll check this out. It does not mean this. So, here's the reality. The word in Hebrew here for likeness means two different things. If you go to the next slide, you will see this. It means not an exact duplication, but it means um, basically a representation. Two words, tesselum and demut. That sounds kind of cool to say that, right? To sell them and to moot. Basically, they're the words used here, and what they mean is not an exact duplication of God. Here's what it means. It is a representation. It is a picture of. It is supposed to reflect God. It is not an exact representation of God. I've got news for you tonight. You're not God, right? Right, good deal. You don't have to make sure the sun comes up tomorrow, right? So here's the reality tonight, is that God made you in his image. It doesn't mean that you are little God. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that you are supposed to be a representation of him. You are made in the likeness of God. 
Here's the only way I know how to illustrate this. My daughter, Ava. Most of you have seen her. (laughs) Somebody said to me the other day, she looks just like you. Now, here's the reality. Ava is made by God, but in my likeness, in a sense. Ava is basically looking like me and my wife. Mostly me, though. That's what most people say. Someone's like, yes, she does. She looks like me. She acts like me at times. She'll do things, and my wife is like, that is your child. (laughs) That is your child. But then when she falls, I'm like, that is your child. (laughs) So she is in the likeness of me, but she is not an exact duplication of me. She doesn't have a beard, right? (laughs) This is good. So she represents me in a sense. And so when she does something wrong because she kind of looks like me and represents my family name, she has my name on her. When she does something wrong, I am a little embarrassed because she represents me. What is true is that you are not a little God. You've been made in the image of God. But here's what that means is that you were made to reflect the glory and the goodness of God. When God made you in his image, he set you up to be a reflection. A guy named John Calvin said, To be made in the image of God is simply to be a mirror image of God on this earth to people. You were meant to reflect God. You were meant to be a mirror image of God. In this grand story, God is a primary player and we are secondary supporting actors. And the way we support him is we were meant to be image bearers, meaning we are reflectors of God's glory in everything. But what what does that mean? Like, that sounds really good. But what does that mean for us? What does it mean that God would make us in his image? I want you to take your Bibles and and flip over to uh, chapter 2. And we're going to see a little bit more zoned in creation of Adam and Eve and what this looks like. Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 1. It says this, The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work. And he rested. But then it comes down in verse 4 and talks about the creation of man and woman. Some people get confused here. They go, wait a minute. He just made man and woman. But what the author is doing is he is zooming in. Check this out. It says this in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And look at verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life that was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So he makes Adam out of the dirt. When it says here in chapter 2 that he makes Adam. And then later it actually says that he takes from Adam a rib and creates Eve. There's a different word used here. Because it's kind of like we had an aerial picture of creation for a moment, but now we're, scoop, we're, we're scoping in on chapter 2. And here's what chapter 2 says. Chapter 2 basically says when he creates Adam out of the dirt, the word is different in Hebrew, and it's actually the word for potter. He is molding Adam. And he molds him, and he gets him how he wants him to be. He creates this man intricately. It says in the book of Psalms that he forms us in our mother's wombs. He knows everything about us. And then in that moment, He breathed life into Adam. He breathed life into Adam. And then from Adam, he took a rib and he made Eve. 
there's a different word for Eve when she was created, and it's actually the word in Hebrew for built. So it's not a word that was used for Adam, but basically what God is saying is, I am building from Adam a woman, a compatible companion for the man. We're going to kind of dig into that later in the series about gender roles and what it means to be a biblical man and to be a biblical woman. But here's the reality tonight, is that God crafted you the way that you are so that you could be an image bearer of his goodness to everybody around you. An image bearer at your school, an image bearer in your family, an image bearer as you drive down the interstate. He designed us to be supporting actors, to bear his image. But what, but what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to bear his image? There's a lot of things that have gone around. People have talked about this for years and years and years. What does it mean to be an image bearer of God? And how do we bear the image of God? Is it just some mental and emotional thing that God has kind of made us kind of like him? Or is it a physical thing? In some way, do we look like God? Like when you look at someone, do they really look like God? Does God look like me? I hope not, right? What does it mean to bear the image of God? Here's what I think it means. A couple things are going to be up on the screen. First of all, I think that we bear the image of God in the fact that we are all at our core, moral beings. We're moral. You say, I know a lot of people who are not moral, right? You can probably name a lot of people you go to school with that have no morality, people in your family that have no morality. At our core, we are moral. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in it, he said there's called a natural law. Every person is born in their core knowing that there's right and there's wrong. So how do I know that? Because if I walk up to you, and I smack you in the face, you're going to smack me back because it's wrong. If I were to kill someone in your family or someone else broke into your house and killed someone in your family and took everything in your house, you would say that is wrong because there is moral, natural law in every person. God created us imago dei in the image of God, and in us he put a sense of right and wrong, a sense of morality. So we're moral creatures. Even those of us who would not say we have morality, the person who is the scum of the earth person, you steal their stuff, and they all of a sudden become very moral, right? Because then it's on them. But not only that, not only morality, we are spiritual beings. God put in us a soul, and he put in us a spirit. We, we are spiritual beings. To be made in the image of God means you're spiritual. To be made in the image of God means that every person that you go to school with, your family members, even the people that would say, I don't even believe in God, every person at their core is a spiritual being because God set them up. Mind, body, soul, we are spiritual beings. And so we reflect the image of God, not just that we're moral, we reflect God's morality, but we reflect the the fact that God is spirit and he is spiritual. And in some sense, God has wired us to be these moral Spiritual creatures. But not only do we reflect God in that, morality and spirituality, everybody's looking for a place of origin because we're all spiritual. But here's the third thing, mental. Spiritual, moral, mental. Every person that's been created has the capacity to think and reason and logic. You would say, no, 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 wait a minute. I know people who don't have the capacity to think or reason or logic. What about, what about someone who's sitting in a hospital in a coma and they can't think or reason or logic? Does that mean they have been all of a sudden unmade in the image of God? We're going to get there in a second, so hold on. We are mental, so we have the capacity to think, to reason, to logic, and that comes from God because God can think, reason, and logic. You don't want to play him in chess, right? God has given us the capacity to be mental, so we reflect him in our morality. We reflect him in our spirituality. 
we reflect him in the fact that we are set up to be mental beings. But, but check this out. We also, I love this one. We reflect God in the fact that we were wired to be relational. We were wired to be relational, right? In the moment that God starts to make us, verse 26, let us, conversation, make man in our conversation image. God is having a conversation. God at his core, we talked about this last year when we went through the Relate series. God at his core is a relational God. You say, who's he in relationship with? Well, he's in relationship with us because he's started that. He was the one who started the relationship with us because he made us and recreated us and wants us to know him. But some people would say, and I said this last week, that God wanted us to be made so he wouldn't be lonely. God is not lonely. God was not lonely on the sixth day and go, man, I need somebody to play with, right? I need somebody to hang out with. I need somebody to go see the movie with. No. God was in relationship with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's this constant relationship happening within the Godhead of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Love, giving love, giving love, giving love, giving love. God is a relational God within himself. You say, that blows my mind. Good. Good. You say, I, I don't know how I explain the Trinity. Well, if you do the ice cube and the vapor and the water, that's heretical. So don't do that. Um, that's called modalism, and it's wrong. God is all Father, all Son, all Spirit, all at the same time, and he's in relationship with himself. That blows my mind. I don't get it, but I know that. It's all throughout the scriptures. God has wired us to be relational. That's why you long for relationship. You long for it. I long for it. You put someone by themselves long enough and they will not last. In fact, scientists have done studies on babies. They've actually taken newborn babies and they've isolated one baby and then they've given a lot of attention to the other baby and the growth rate of the baby that gets love and attention and gets cared for versus the growth rate and the stimulation and the mental growth rate of the baby that doesn't get cared for is diametrically different because we were wired to be in relationship. We are wired to receive and give love. So we're relational. Check this out. But it continues on in our physicalness, the physicality of who we are. God has created. You say, now, wait a minute. If we bear the image of God in our physicality, does that mean that God has a body of some sort? Well, Jesus wrapped flesh around himself and became a man. But before that, he was not a body. The Bible says that God is spirit and no one has seen him. So why in our physical nature do we reflect God? Here's what I think. The Bible says all throughout Genesis 1, God spoke, God spoke, God spoke. The Bible talks about how God sees. The Bible talks about how God hears. And I think in some way, when God crafted us, he said, I want to reflect a little bit of myself and the way in which I have operated. And so God made us able to see. God made us able to speak. God made us able to hear. And all these are characteristics that you see about God throughout the scriptures. So we relate. We are moral. We are spiritual. We have these physical bodies that somehow reflect the image of God, right? But here's the last thing about what it means to be made in the image of God. You and I have this deep, intrinsic value. Every person has deep, intrinsic value. What does that mean? It means value that they don't have to earn or deserve. Even people who don't know Jesus or love God or would say God doesn't exist that are Made in the image of God. Everyone's made in the image of God. So they have this intrinsic value. Why is that important? Because if everyone's an image bearer, then there's a problem 
There's a problem with the millions of babies that are aborted every year if everyone's an image bearer and everyone has intrinsic value. If everyone's an image bearer and everyone has intrinsic value because of that, there's a problem when Christians go and blow up abortion clinics thinking that they're doing something right. If everyone has intrinsic value and everyone is an image bearer, then it breaks the heart of God when we're racist towards one another. If everyone has value and everyone's intrinsically has value and everyone is an image bearer, then it breaks the heart of God that every hour the number of children that die because they don't have clean water is equal to filling up a 747 full of babies and it crashing every hour and no one surviving. If everyone has value and everyone is an image bearer, then we should really be worried about the fact that there are 137 million children who will wake up tomorrow with no mom or no dad. Why do those things matter to us as the body of Christ? Not just because we want to do good things, but because every person is an image bearer. Everyone has value. Everyone matters, right? But see, here's what happens. If you've got your Bibles, look at, look at Genesis chapter 3. This story kind of continues, and we're going to dig into this a little bit more next week. But Genesis chapter 3 shows us a picture of what happens. Look at verse 4. The serpent, which we know represents Satan, says to the woman, You will surely not die, talking about the fruit on the tree. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the, the cool of the garden of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Until this point, the man and the woman have enjoyed the presence of God. They've walked in the cool of the garden and talked to God face to face. And in the first instance of them eating what God had asked them not to, the first instance of sin, these image bearers realize that there's something wrong, and now we see them hiding from God. See, what happens is <laughs> when, when we're image bearers, we're meant to reflect the glory of God, right? We're meant to to love God, to live for God. And what happens in the garden is basically we are meant to reflect this image and this image is supposed to be portrayed to us. But, but here's what happened. The image of God was broken. This is what some people feel like their lives are like. Big mess on the floor, right? In that moment, Adam and Eve knew. So they hid. When my life looks like that before a holy God, I hide. See, this doesn't reflect anything. It doesn't reflect a thing. In fact, it, it, it misrepresents God. But this is where a lot of people are, right? You say, man, that's crazy. But that is exactly what happened. When sin entered the picture, everything broke down. Say, how did everything broke down? Well, let's walk back through that list real quick. Morality, 
You hear people now saying, there's no sense of right or wrong. Our morality gets turned upside down because the image of God is jacked up in us. Morality gets turned upside down. Our spirituality, we actually have people that are saying that they aren't spiritual beings, that they have no spirituality, or that they're many gods. Our spirituality gets all messed up in us. We don't reflect the image of God. Mentally, we're mental beings, but then you have people that are making the wrong decisions. You actually have people with such wrong thinking that you go to the next thing or skip down a couple, your physicality. You actually have people that are hurting their bodies. Say, what are you talking about? Addictive drug use, addictive alcohol use. This shell, this body, so to speak, is supposed to bear the image of God. And so you have people making decisions mentally to impact their body, and they don't even know that they are broken. The very body that they're supposed to glorify God with, they're breaking it down. Follow me? And then relationally. Oh, my gosh. I could go on and on about relationally. The moment that the image of God was broken, relationships begin to fall apart. So here's what we have today. We have divorce. We have people who can't get along. We have moms and dads who are leaving their kids. Relationally, we are falling apart. But then lastly, intrinsic value. When every year There are millions of babies who are taken out of the womb and then killed. And we've lost the sense of intrinsic value. See, when this image becomes this mess on the floor, it doesn't reflect. That's exactly what happened in the garden that day. It doesn't reflect the glory of God. It doesn't reflect who God is. And it's skewed and it's messed up. And everybody from Adam is in the same boat. That's how the story goes. Morally, spiritually, mentally, relationally, physically, we're messed up. And then our culture says there's no intrinsic value in people. So there's actually discussions about when people get old enough and they're in comas and they don't have any response or they can't think for themselves, do we just off them at that point? Babies that we don't want, do we just off them? Because we have no sense of intrinsic value anymore. When this broke, all of that broke down. All of that broke down. And you can see how this got all turned upside down. And you can see why Adam and Eve are hiding now in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. They're hiding from the one whom they were in perfect relationship with. Why? Because now they look like this. And here's what the only hope is. Christ Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, would step in this mess and pick it up and put it all back together. Because I don't know about you, but I could not, with a week's worth of work, put that mirror back together. And that's how a lot of people feel about their lives. Maybe that's how you feel about your life tonight. Sure, you're in church. Come here every week, maybe. But you feel like your life is a mess of glass on the floor. And to be really honest with you, until Christ, your life is a mess of glass on the floor. And you're spending your days trying to pick it up, 
And the more you try to pick it up, the more you cut yourself, and the more you hurt yourself, and it just isn't working. Because you are made to be an image bearer. You say, so is the image of God totally lost? Is it totally gone? No, it's not totally lost. It's skewed. It doesn't reflect God anymore. It doesn't reflect what it was supposed to reflect, but it's still there. And what happens, we're going to see this next week, is Christ Jesus steps into our reality of our mess and puts it all back together again. I don't know where you are tonight, but here's what I do know. Is that relationally in here, there's brokenness. Physically in here, there's people that potentially you're just hurting yourself. And you're going down a road of physically just killing yourself. Addiction, what have you. There's choices that have been made mentally. You've made a decision that has cost you dearly. All of these things that begin to break down. And this is where it gets very real, is that Jesus offers grace for all of that. The story has this bad turn, but in the midst of this brokenness, there's a lot of beauty. His name's called Christ, Jesus. It's a cross. It's nails driven through his hands to put you back together again to bara you, to recreate you into what you were supposed to be in the first place. And here's what Paul says in the New Testament. He says, I pray that you would be daily looking like the image of Christ, the creator. So Jesus Christ steps into this mess and puts us back together so that we can be what we were supposed to be in the first place. Image bears of God. If you're in Christ, He's in the process of putting you back together. It's called sanctification. If you're not in Christ, you probably feel like that glass on that stage, which I'm not real sure how I'm going to clean up yet. I'll probably ask Charlie to do it. But here's what I want you to know tonight, and these guys are going to come lead us in some worship. Is there's never a point in which you are too broken for Christ. In fact, it's really when you realize that you are this mess on the, on the stage, when you go, I cannot do this, that Christ steps in and begins to put us back together again. You've been made in the image of God to bear the image of God, to reflect the image of God. Christ Jesus wants to recreate that in us. We're going to pray. And tonight, if you'd say, you know what, I need, to, I need to talk to somebody. i got some stuff going on in my life. I feel like that glass pile on the floor. Uh, We're here. I'm here. These guys on the stage are leading worship for us. They're here. We'd love to talk to you. If you came with someone tonight, they'd love to talk to you. Um, If you're a refugee, a person who comes here every week, um, and you're like, dude, I got stuff going on in my life. I need to talk. I would love to talk to you. We're here. Okay. We're going to worship God a little bit tonight. But maybe tonight you'd go, you know what? I don't have stuff going on in my life. I've got things pretty much, things are coasting along pretty good. But there was a point in which 
everything wasn't coasting along very good, and I felt like a big pile of glass on the floor, and Christ stepped in and put me back together. This picture right here should make you want to worship him with everything that you are, because I know this. I can look back at a time when my life was a pile of glass on the floor, and I know that Christ put me together, and it makes me want to worship him, because I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that. So tonight we're going to worship him, because he's the God who puts our mess back together. Let's pray. Father, we are all a mess. You made us in your image, and it's broken. But God, I thank you that because of Jesus, you're putting us back together. God, I pray that tonight, for those of us who've been put together, we're in the process of Jesus recreating us in his image, that someday when we get to heaven, we will look exactly like you. God, I pray that tonight this thought of being made in your image yet recreated by Jesus would cause us to worship you like crazy. God, for those of us in this room tonight, we feel like our lives are a pile of glass on the floor and we can't put it together that we would run to your cross because you've displayed your love for us, God. You made us in your image to reflect you, to represent you. So, Father, I pray that tonight we would worship you because you've made us to be your representation, to be your worshipers. God, I pray that tonight that you would move in our hearts in such a way that we would run to you because you fix our brokenness. God, you fix our broken relationships. God, you you fix our messed up decisions. God, you are the Father who heals our bodies. God, you're good. But in the middle of our brokenness, you, Jesus, recreate us. So, Father, we worship you for that too. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Stand your feet. Let's worship our God.